Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart, and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand, him, stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, there is a lot here. Much of it is veiled. But we who have your spirit and the eyes of faith should be able to perceive the truth and the light that is here. Help us this morning to be encouraged by the message. May the example, may the teaching we find here also encourage us to live faithfully for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Many times around the world, particularly at Christmas time, people celebrate this holiday by going to hear the performance of Handel's Messiah. It seems appropriate that it's performed around Christmas time, but the first time it was performed was in 1742, in the month of April, in Ireland. Handel was born in 1685. He moved to Britain in 1712. He was Prussian. He was German. And in his lifetime, as musician to the King of England, he composed, I stopped counting at 400. There's a big chart I found online. Hundreds of orchestrations. Approximately 400 orchestra, uh, orchestrations several dozen operas, oratories, oratorios, canticles, and even a good number of hymns. There's a lot of, if you've never noticed it before, if you've ever heard the Messiah performed, if you're paying attention, it's not just beautiful music. There's a lot of theology there. Handel was a devoted Christian, and he knew his Bible. And you can see it throughout the performance of the Messiah. He goes from Job through the book of Isaiah. 
he makes reference to the annunciation to the shepherds as Luke in Luke chapter 2 that is the only reference he makes to the gospels and then he talks about the glorious crowning of the Lord in heaven from Revelation 19 he even talks about music even teaches us about resurrection that he borrows from Paul in Romans and 1 Corinthians there is a lot of theology in the music of that wonderful glorious piece and if you've never heard it I encourage you you can find it online just sit down and listen to it to listen to the whole thing if you've never heard it before I'm, I know you've heard parts of it but the whole oratorio is about two hours and 15 minutes I was 14 the first time I heard it and I've got, I've got to be honest with you this thing ever end But once you know the words of God's scripture that are steeped in the music, you almost cannot help but cry. It's that beautiful. Throughout the whole thing, his focus is on Christ, the Messiah. Perhaps some of the more memorable movements are those that put passages from Isaiah from the book of Isaiah to music. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light has dawned. That's in there. I'm sure you're familiar with one, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You want me to sing it? I don't want to scare you away. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Handel understood his Bible and he leaned heavily on Isaiah throughout this thing. It's quite interesting because when we look at Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament ministered to and wrote during a very dark and troubled time in Israel. We too have been given God's word. And God has also given us of himself. He is the one who is the living word. What was prophesied, what was promised in Isaiah, we have already experienced in the birth, in the crucifixion, and the resurrection of our Lord. He is the living word. So when we study, we must look closely to see the wisdom, the truth, and the spiritual food that is here to nourish our hearts, to teach us, to help us to understand. The promise of the Messiah was given to Israel very early in their history, not just in Isaiah. You can look at all, all the way back to the writing of Genesis 3.15. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. Throughout the writings of the book of, books of Moses, Deuteronomy 18, 15, the word says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall fear. 
Quoting the word of God, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, speaking of Moses, from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Through the prophet Moses, the Lord promised a prophet that would be eternal. So it's not just Isaiah that we lean upon the promises of the Messiah. What's so wonderful about all of this? We want to look at our text this morning, and I, I said I was going to try to make it simple. Because there is a lot there to chew on, and I don't think we're going to be able to chew on all of it. But what we want to see this morning is God's patient grace, God's faithful promise, and God's glorious mercy. His patient grace, his faithful promise, and God's glorious mercy. We've talked about it more than once before. This false assumption that everyone seems to have about the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. No, he is one and the same. But the God of the Old Testament always seems so angry and he's always calling for war and destruction and death and judgment. And the God of the New Testament is full of mercy and grace and patience and he's happy. No, they're one and the same. I can show you example after example after example. If we look at the life of Jacob. The name Jacob means supplanter or deceiver. Jacob was a bit of a conniver. He liked to deal things, deal things around his life to advantage. He took advantage of his brother Esau quite a bit. And if you remember it all began over a bowl of red stew. Tricked his brother out of his birthright. But yet, God was gracious to Jacob. We look at the life of Moses. He was a murderer. But God was gracious to Moses. We look at the life of David. He was an adulterer and a murderer. But God was gracious to David. So we can go from one example to another all the way through the Old Testament where God we see God's grace and patience with his people. Don't try and tell me that the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God. They are one and the same. We see God's patient grace in the life of Ahaz as well. If we take a quick look back to Isaiah chapter 6, you don't have to go there, just maybe later in your personal reading. In the year that King Uzziah died, is how the book of chapter 6 begins, Isaiah was considered to be a righteous king. He was the grandfather of Ahaz. While he was considered to be a righteous king, later in life he became quite proud of his success and accomplishments, and he entered the temple to burn incense and according to the law, the priests were the only ones allowed in the temple. Ahaz took it upon himself to make offerings, and he was not qualified priest. He was only king. And for his hubris, for his pride, God struck him or cursed him with leprosy. 
And for the last 10 years of his life, while he suffered as a leper, his son Jotham served as co-regent, helping his father rule the, king, rule the kingdom. Ahaz was the son of Jotham, grandson of Uzziah. But Ahaz was not a righteous king. He was a very wicked king. Ahaz sacrificed his son in worship to a false god, Molech. You can read that account in 2 Kings 16 or 2 Chronicles 28. He also replaced the sacred altar of the Lord with an altar of a false deity. He brought offerings to this false god. He used the altar of the Lord to practice witchcraft. You want to be very careful about the theology of a king, about the theology of a leader of any nation, because that very quickly becomes the theology of the country, of the nation. What we must see here, God is patient and gracious with Ahaz. Isaiah 7, verse 1, again, let's read, When Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, or Syria, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram was allied itself with Ephraim to the hearts of Ahaz, and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. Please remember that for about approximately 150 years, the nation of Israel had been divided. The ten tribes to the north had seceded from the nation under the rule of Solomon's son. Judah and Benjamin were intact as one kingdom to the south, but the ten tribes up north, considered throughout Scripture, are called Israel, had already split off, had already formed their own nation, their own part. And here we see where the king of Israel, Ramalia, had made an alliance with the king of Syria, an enemy of Israel. Yes, an enemy of Israel, the northern tribes, because they wanted to overthrow Jerusalem and Judah. And they had already begun to, begun to build a siege around the city, and the people were terrified about what would happen. King Ahaz was threatened. And he and the people were quite concerned, to say the least. In verse 4, then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. The Lord told Isaiah, Take your son, whose name happens to be a remnant will return, so there is a promise even in that, that point. 
the promise of restoration from the Lord. The Lord said, I know that your enemy wants nothing more than to take you down and turn the walls of your city to dust. I'm paraphrasing. He says, Ahaz, don't be afraid. That will not happen. Aram and Rezin have already spent all their strength. They are just two smoldering stubs of firewood. God is being gracious to Ahaz, a wicked king, trying to show... Calm down. You're safe. And then he said, the Lord said, ask the Lord your God. Ask of me of a sign. Whether it be the deepest depths or the highest heights. Ask me anything and I will reveal to you that what I say to you is true. But in pride, borrowing from a command from Moses' law, I'm not going to test the Lord. This is, this is uh, whether he thought it was some kind of a trick. He says, I'm not going to test the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a sign. God was patient and gracious to Ahaz. He received grace, not for himself, but he received grace for the sake of God's faithful promise. There is a difference between grace and mercy. Grace is something that God gives you. Grace is when God gives you favor that you do not deserve. And mercy is when God withholds the punishment you do deserve. To illustrate grace, we could talk about a dear, sweet old lady who lives alone in a house but loves children. And some of the families in the town know this. They bring their children to meet this lady, and she always likes to give them candy, little stuffed animals, little toys. And sometimes she will have them into her house and the children will just break something or run amok without any discipline. And she is patient and gracious and doesn't mind the disturbance. She seems to enjoy it. That's an illustration of grace. It's also an illustration of mercy because she could get our ruler and slap their hands every time they break something on her coffee table. But when you and I, everyone, everyone receives grace. All of us do. Matthew 5.45, the Lord himself said, He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. We all receive grace. Some of us receive more than we, more than others. God is gracious to all. He is merciful to some. Every one of you receive his grace every single day. You might ask, when have I ever received anything from God? 
Take a breath. There's grace. Every one of us is one heartbeat away from eternity. And all we need to do is take a breath to remember that God is gracious to let us live. Are you well fed? Are you healthy? Some may be more healthy than others. Do you have a home? Do you have a loving family? All of this in God's providence is an expression of grace toward all of us. So God was being gracious to Ahab, Ahaz. Here in Isaiah, God told Ahaz, the Lord speaks, the Lord spoke to the wicked king Ahaz, ask of the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the longest, or in the heights, highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And as we mentioned before, he was afraid of the admonition in Deuteronomy 6, you shall not test the Lord your God. You might ask, was Ahaz saved? Was God merciful to Ahaz? We can see that he may have been gracious. Was he merciful to him? I don't know. We know that he was a wicked king. He was a rebellious king. But all we can see right here was God's patient grace. Patiently gracious to Ahaz. Not for the sake of Ahaz, but the sake of God's promise. God's faithful promise. We'd already read in Deuteronomy 18, the prophet like Moses from among their brethren will be put and will put who will have the words of God in his mouth and he shall speak them to all that I command him. And in 2 Samuel 7, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The promise to the King David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That is God's eternal promise, his faithful promise. An eternal king, a lord and a savior, and a prophet. So what is going on here in the world of Israel, in the Old Testament history, through the life of Ahaz, is God expressing his grace and his patience because of his faithful promise. He is not excusing any of Ahaz's sin. He is not excusing any of his idolatry. He is not excusing any of his weaknesses. He is just being very patient because he has a mission to accomplish. saying, Ahaz, you are a descendant, not just of your father, your grandfather Uzziah, you are a descendant of King David. You sit on his throne, and I have already promised that that throne shall be established forever. If you're scratching your head wondering, where is that throne today? Don't get confused. It is, it is a spiritual throne, and it is an eternal throne. We see God's patient grace because of his faithful promise. 
We also see in the fulfillment of that promise God's glorious mercy. Why did the Son of God put on human flesh? Because God longed to be merciful. In order for God to be merciful, someone had to atone for the sin, for the crimes, for the wrongs of all. Someone had to pay for the broken law. And he sent his son, who would be the only acceptable, spotless lamb, spotless sacrifice, sinless, perfect, holy offering that would be acceptable. In part two of Handel's Messiah, there is a response. And there's a focus on Isaiah 53. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Very beautiful music that speaks to this faithful promise of God's mercy. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The Apostle Peter wrote, in one of his epistles, that these are the very things that angels look into and are filled with wonder. But you see more and more Christians look into these things and go, yeah. Hebrews 2, verse 1 1 through 3. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? We see God's grace, God's patient grace in the life of Ahaz because God is patient And because God wanted to fulfill a promise of a coming Lord. Because in that coming Lord, the one we have already received, he provides mercy. He supplies it. He finishes it. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says again in Hebrews, Today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness 
where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. God offers grace to all, but only mercy to some. Have you received his mercy? Have you received his gift? We share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence in him firm to the end. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. His death on the cross was for your redemption. His death on the cross provides you with God's mercy. His death on the cross cleanses you from all guilt, all sin. And blesses you with mercy forever. What you deserve was put out on his body, on his flesh. And what you receive is his righteousness. God's patient grace, God's faithful promise, God's glorious mercy. Shall we pray? Lord, as we think of you and think on these things this holiday season, let us remember that when we say that our Lord Jesus is our Savior, it means so much. It's so easy to accept and enjoy and be blessed in the grace of God that when we think when we think of our own sin, our own condition, our own rebellion, we know we deserve none of it. We truly deserve, because of our pride, because of our rebellion, we deserve God's eternal wrath, but because of what Jesus has done. But because, because of what he gives us, we have relief, we have liberty, we have love, we have righteousness. It does not belong to us, but is given to us completely and fully and freely. Help us remember this as we worship our Lord. He is more than just a child in the manger. He is an eternal, everlasting king, the Lord of righteousness. We pray this. In his blessed name, amen.